Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender at Blender HD. If you want to follow me there on Twitter, and uh, it's Monday. It's Monday. You know what happens on Monday, people? It's Mondays with McCool, James McCool, Pay Dirt underscore DFS, the co-author with me of the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you could find at theoryofdfs.com. As always, this is what we do on Mondays. We don't go over yesterday's slate. We maybe talk about today's slate. Maybe it's six games. Who knows? We'll use some examples. Talk primarily strategy. If you have your DFS strategy questions, post them in the chat, in the YouTube chat. I see you, Edward Brown, Doug Montgomery, Suki Singh, Frederick Duke, Chewbacca, Matt Mir, card, card fan, Quinn Williams, Chandler Cannon. Hit that thumbs up button. Keep my apple juice cold in the morning. So, James, while, while, while you've been, so far this season, you've had, what, two first places? Right, a second place and a first place. A second and a first, okay. Yeah. And and you're and you're you're playing less entries than I am. Yes, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Over the week, over this past week, I've gotten three top tens, but none not in the top five. So so you've gotten three new sets of knives. Right, right, exactly. It's basically basically set of steak knives, right? Yeah. So you cut, you get close. Like yesterday on Fanduel, I think I came I came in eleventh. Or something, and then like t- two days pre- previous to that, it was like seventh. And these are the large field stuff, so we're not talking about like seventh out of three hundred. We're talking about like seventh out of like forty five thousand, right? Like eighty six thousand or whatever it is. So like this season, it's been what seven weeks, seven weeks or so. Just about yeah. And I play large field primarily. I've I've gotten I think eight top tens. And like, I don't know, 15, 16 top twenties, but nothing, but nothing in the top, nothing in the top five. I think, I think fifth place, I think I came in fifth once or something, but it's like, it's these price structures are, it's 30,000 to first, 15,000 to second, 7,000 to third, 3,000 to fourth, 1,500 to fifth. Oh, thank you. Here you go. Here's $1,500. And it's like, and then a lot of times it's like, here's 300, here's 400, right? Like, and it's like, but, I, but I'm only five points away from the, from 50,000. Oh, no, here, here you go. Here's your set of steak knives. So uh, when that happens, like uh, we, we've said, we've said numerous times that the difference between coming in like 10th and first is like, there's nothing that if you, if, if, if I were to ask you, James, what can I do to take my top 10, my, my top fifth to 15th place level? I must be doing something wrong, right? Getting, you know, 10, 12, 14 of those. How do I finally get into the top five? Is there anything that I could do? What would your answer be? Just get luckier. You <laughs> <laughs> Just get luckier. I mean, it's not even, it's, it's never about that. I, I mean, I, uh, we've talked about it before and we've talked about it like on the theory DFS too, on, on the masterclass where all you can really aim to do is be top 1%. That's it. If you, if you aim to be top 1% and you end up in the top 1% and you don't win the contest, just like, well, all right, just get luckier next time. Cause you have to get lucky. I mean, with, uh, 
with the last takedown that I had, what, two weeks ago? No, last, last week, because I didn't have one this week. Um, with that takedown, I was in fourth place until literally the last at-bat of the game where I had Harold Castro and the Tigers have an RBI single in overtime to knock in Robbie Grossman, and I had both of them, and that's what put me in first. And otherwise, like, it's the difference between $2,000 and I think it was like $300 or something like that. So you just get lucky, man. Um, right. And- sometimes, I mean, I sometimes you take a look at your lineups and you go, like, I'm seven points behind first. Pl- I mean, like, and you're looking and you have, like, one guy that like, – I, th- I think there was, there was one slate. There's It was – I forgot who – that had, like, a barrel to the wall. Like, like – like it was ba- like bases loaded, and it was a you know a fly ball that if you watched it you like it, that's hitting the wall in the gap right. It's gonna hit the top of the wall, and then you know the center fielder you know rushes and gets there in time. It's two outs. It's not even a stack fly, and it's like if that ball would have landed, it would have been at least a two RBI double. And then on Fanduel, I mean that's and then I have I have the stack. So mm-hmm. like the extra point, and then you look, and it's like, oh, I would have, I would have won first place by like five points. It's like that difference. That that's the difference between coming in in the top top twentieth place. We had that slate, the the nutso slate, a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. The, the when I talk about the nutso, the one where NBA score, it was like NBA scoring. Oh yeah, yep. I I, I had a top ten. I had like seventh place in that. Sitting there with Teoscar Hernandez with nine points going, mm-hmm. really, you couldn't do more than that? And normally, maybe a lineup with 336 would have, like, won the contest normally. I'm not going to be one of those people that complain about that. We all know why that happens. Yeah. There's a lot of high scoring. A lot of high-owned players are getting there, and that's the way it happens. Mm-hmm. But that was the slate where the Braves put up 20 runs. And I have a four-main Braves stack. And then Glasnow pitched against the uh, Rays, which made – the Blue Jays under completely underowned. Yep. And I had three Blue Jays. I had Teoscar Vlad had two home runs and and Semyon had forty seven points on. He didn't have a home run, but he had a double, a triple. He had a bunch of stuff. Whole bunch, yeah. Right. And uh, and then like a one off, whatever. I forgot. I forgot who. Probably what it was like. It was one of those slates where like four guys hit two home runs and one guy hit three home. Like we had just uh, Winker had three home runs. 65 points it's like well i could didn't have him as a one-off in that lineup and you look and it's like the winning score was like 364 yeah it was hilarious it was right hilarious. and i'm sitting there yeah. three thir- 339 in like seventh place with my nice little like what 350 buck 400 bucks or whatever mm-hmm. the hell it was 500 i don't know what it was uh but you some but sometimes you sit there going if i would have if i would have changed this if i would have changed that but the thing that i don't do is if like if I would have changed Teoscar Hernandez to it to someone else that didn't have nine points, mm-hmm. well then it wouldn't have been a four three one lineup. Like it goes against what I was going. It was like I'm not gonna change. I'm not gonna gonna like try to re-engineer a lineup like tilt wise because you're going there going if I would have only Freddie Freeman in that lineup only had 15 points. Yeah, it's like well I could have replaced Freddie Freeman. With someone else at the catcher first base spot, but then it wouldn't have been a four man Braves stack. Like then it wouldn't, like then it would be a three three two lineup. But like, and I wasn't building those, mm-hmm. so I I don't think even when you reassess the lineups that you're building, 
Like if, if it's if it's not part of the strategy you would have done anyway, to me there's no point in even there's no point in even looking at it. Like it's just like, you know, if the, there there are plenty of times where I've I've mentioned on the show that I take the strategic approach of like stacking against the chalk SB2 and fading the chalk SB2 and the chalk SB2 like puts up 40 points and like I'm dead. Like that's I go on to the up. next day. But but I'm saying like what oh I shouldn't have done that. It's like well that was that was the basis of my strategy. I mean like I knew that that was the possibility that that I could get burned completely or not get burned completely. Or when I see a lineup at the top of the thing with that that's a whole bunch of one-offs, right? It's eight one-offs. It's it's two one 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 whatever. And I go what what was I going to do? I I'm not I'm not playing those lineups. Like there's that someone got lucky in one. Same thing with the with the same thing with the uh, the if I make a strategic oh I'm not stacking this team if I crossed them off the list and they put up 15 runs like what would I have done it was there anything and I look at their ownership and they're overowned I mean like it still comes down to if the information that I have now would I have still done the same thing like and I and if the answer is yes like what then I just lose that day and that's it. Yeah, people struggle a lot with just saying that, like, oh, you just lose that day. People struggle with that so badly. And I see it a lot of the time and, and like a lot lately because lately the chalk has been doing really, really well. Like this last week, I can always tell if the chalk is doing well because I go and look at my roto tracker and it's just like, <laughs> so like the chalk has been doing really, really well for the last week. And people think and they're like, oh, well, I should just be playing the chalk or if I'd have just you know, stuck with the lineup where it was everybody who was over 30% owned, like then I would have cashed or like, you know, things like that. But it's, it's that uh, it's the idea of loss aversion and the idea of losses being more painful than wins. Like when you win really, really well, it, for some reason in human psychology does not feel as good comparatively to when you lose even a little bit. Like people just are so, so averse to losing, but you have to lose a lot if you're playing the right way to actually win big GPPs. If you're playing large field GPPs, you should never be mad about the money that you lost in there because you're going to lose it 95% of the time. You should just expect to lose it on that. So people, um, when they lose, they look for all these reasons of like, oh, well, I could have done this. I could have done this. I could have done this. It's like most of the time, the vast majority of the time, the decisions that you made were probably fine if you're playing the right way, if you're listening to smart people, like the decisions that you made were probably fine. Uh, and, and you just lost a variance and that's going to happen, dude. I, you, you can't be mad about variance, not going your way. You're not going to win every slate. You're going to lose the majority of your slate. So don't tilt it, look at it, see if you can figure out, okay, well, maybe I should have chosen this combination rather than this combination of, uh, of like a two V two or something like that. But that decision really only comes down to like, when you were building your lineup, did you actually follow the projections and did you follow things the best way that you could? And if you did. I, and, and, if they, and if they were accurate, if your strategic assessment, that's, that's how, that's how I view it, James. And as I think both of us do it this way is that you look and it's not always going to be accurate. Like your assessment, even the, the ownership projections that you have, the player projections are not, they're not a hundred percent accurate. Sometimes you have to adjust. Sometimes you look and you go, no, this pitcher is going to be much higher owned. Mm-hmm. This pitcher is going to be much lower owned. Where something happens, we had that Velasquez, 
get scratched type oh of thing. Oh, my God. That was hilarious. And he was still 20% down in contests, and I still lost that day. How was that? Oh, I got, I got crushed that day. But, like, I, it was hilarious. But, but you have to assess at that moment, like, where's all this ownership going? And it was, right? yeah, yeah. But and what ended up happening, see, see, this is, this is what ends up happening, though. Uh, the last, like, I was over on Smiley mm-hmm. on that slate. And I started jamming in Marlins because obviously if people were playing Velasquez, the Marlins were going to be lower. Mm-hmm. But what ends up happening is that a lot of people, a lot of sharper players did that. And it made the Marlins the second most owned team on the slate. Right. And it made Smiley jump from like 20% owned to 60% owned because who else are you playing on that, on that slate? And what we were talking about last week. Well, he was now I guy. look at my, now I look at my lineups and I go, these smiley Marlins lineups are like now, now, now they're tr- like, if, if I would have known that the Marlins would end up being 15 to 20% owned, like these lineups don't make sense anymore. Like these, like I'm pairing the Marlins. I'm playing, I'm putting in the Marlins in my lineups as if they're low owned, when in fact they're the second most owned stack. So now I like, I wouldn't have built these lineups had I known that beforehand. So it doesn't matter to me if that wins. I would look at that. If I would look at a winning lineup like that and go, I, I, I must, I got lucky putting in a bad lineup and winning with a bad lineup. So it's the same way that I would look at if I lost with, I mean, I just look, I look at my lineups, very similar, some very similar MMA. I can tell whether or not I made good lineups in MMA once lock hits, that's it. But that everything else doesn't matter. Cause all I do is go in to Excel. I count my lineups I go, how many uniques do I have? How many times is each lineup, uh, duplicated and then I could tell right there did I did I make good lineups and then I, I do I sometimes I have lineups that are, yeah I guess I played this lineup that was duplicated 88 times mm-hmm. I guess I was playing this lineup that's duplicated 62 times and I'm like okay those are bad lineups but then I have a whole bunch of onesie twosie threesie ones and I go okay I'm good I'm good and then of course the slate happens and unless one of those unique ones come up you know you lose that's that's, that's the way it is but that's how I'm judging it right there same thing in MLB where you look once lock hits, once these games lock, you go, the plans that I had for these lineups were based on X player projections, X ownership projections, and the contest that you're in. So based on that, looking at was was this pitcher that I thought was going to be 22% owned, what is he owned? Sometimes it happens the other way. Sometimes a pitcher that I think is going to be I don't know, 16% owned, ends up 4% owned. And when that happens, I go, damn, I should have played more of them, right? I should have him in more lineups. I was actually playing him like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll have some of him. Now, there's also times where it goes the other way. You go, oh, I'm playing, someone I think is going to be 16% owned, and they end up 35% owned, and I go, I think I'm playing too much of them, Right? Now, now these lineups don't make sense anymore. But also the lineups that have, when it goes the other way, when it ends up being really like 1% owned, I go, wow, these lineups actually have way more leverage than I need. Mm-hmm. Like I could have I paired this pitcher with the truck stack now. And I didn't make lineups like that because I thought it was decently enough owned that there were different ways to go. But all, none of what any of that is has anything to do with the results. Like none of that, none whatsoever. And there are plenty of times that I've built bad lineups that have, I, I guarantee you 
that some of the lineups that have come in the top 20 this season have been bad lineups. Have yeah. been lineups that at the time that I made them, based on my projections, I think are plus EV. And then once once ownership locks, I go, oops. <laughs> oops, oopsie. They're, they're more on than I thought. Okay, they weren't sneaky, They right? Or or the other way, or it's like, wow, okay, I, I have a lineup that that is a communal of ownership of 65. And I'm like, did I need to go that far? Did I need to get, okay, well, anything could happen. Like, it's one of those types of things. But you'll know that not by the results, just by, well, now all this information has opened up. The, the incomplete information has become complete. Of course, you can't make any changes now. And now you look at the lineup and you go, well, based on this ownership and based on these players, is this a lineup that you would have made before the slate start? If the answer is yes, like, is there a reason to tilt? I mean, if you didn't make money, yeah. I mean, yeah, sure, I, I guess there's a reason, but I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot, like, there's, there's nothing that would have changed other, right. than, other than stuff that you can't control. Yeah, that's the big thing. It's just you you can't get mad about the results and people need to learn that because getting mad about the results, like, what are you going to do? You can't control the future. You can only put yourself in, in position to take advantage of what happens in the future. And that's why you have to build lineups that are able to, like, have some sort of relative value and actually put you in the top 1% of contests rather than building lineups that if everybody is right, now you get to cash in the top 15th percentile and, like, congrats on maybe 2xing your money. Maybe. And that's the problem that people have is they they look at the way that these slates come out. Like if the Rays are going to be 35% owned and the Nationals are projected to be like 30% owned, but they're up against Matt Harvey. So like I already know that they're, they're 40, 45% owned. Things like that. If you pair the Rays and the Nationals together and you look at your lineup and you're like, okay, well, I have literally all of the chalk here. And then the shot goes off. It's like, okay, that's good. But did you win? Did you end up like banking the contest because of it? Probably not. Not unless everything went your way and you had like a 1% pitcher and a 1% hitter that both like found their ceiling games on that. But even then you're taking these contests where you have 30,000 people, 20,000 people, and you are having the same exposures as 30% of the field. You know what happens over the long term? you end up finishing 30th percentile in that field because that's where all of the exposures are. That's where all of the ownership is. If you build lineups to have the same lineups as 30% of the field, then like you're just going to match 30% of the field. So on on yesterday's slate, for instance, Juan Soto on FanDuel in the big GPP was 40% owned. Yeah, same on DraftKings. 40%. It was a 10-game slate. Yeah. 40%. Hilarious. I know. You got a zero. Yeah. And the Nationals didn't, it's not like the Nationals did badly. No. The stack you didn't, didn't come need them in, to win the slate either. No, of course not. Yeah, the Nationals, no, of course not. Uh, but the fact that there's a 40% own hitter on a 10-game slate, like you have to, you have to be willing. To, you go as far as X them out, but you don't have to. You just play them in less lineups. But you have to be willing to have you have to have some 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 conviction some good that a 40 percent owned hitter is over is no matter who they are is over owned it's like no matter who they are should be yeah right 
So you, you have to, you have to be willing to say, I'm not playing this guy. And if he doesn't put up a ceiling, because remember, even if he hits a home run, 14 points, I mean, you get 14 points from a lot of other people. So it's like, even then, that's not the end of the world because you could just replace it by someone else's home run, right? I mean, like, whatever. Uh, you have to have the, to say 40%, like, if, if that guy gets a three or a six or a zero or whatever, he busts 40% of the, I mean, busts. Like, you, you're... You before any points are even in your lineup, what you you automatically are passing, you you're eliminating first place equity from like forty percent of the field, and you have to be willing to okay okay if I'm not playing Soto, then who am I playing? Now you've eliminated forty percent of ownership in your lineup. Now 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 the guy's now now the options have opened up to you, but what happens, James? And we've seen it this year. You get Austin Meadows at 36% owned and he double dongs, right? As a one-off. Acuna is like, I think one slate was 45% owned. Against his own pitcher. Right. It was that slate. It was that slate where people were like literally going out of their way to play Acuna against their own pitcher because they're like, oh, well, you just eat the home run against your pitcher. It's like, you're insane. Yeah, but he did. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I mean. People are scared. People get scared. Like, obviously, Acuna, but you, you have, obviously, Acuna is in a great spot, and I'm not going to play Bryce Harper in this matchup. And it's like, like maybe, or just don't make a lineup that needs a $6,000 outfielder. Yeah. And just hope they, they, sometimes, like on FanDuel, for instance, like on yesterday's slate, for instance, there weren't that many expensive stacks. Like the problem, the reason why someone like Soto was as high owned on FanDuel because there was no place to spend your money. There was no high price. Like Wheeler was the highest priced pitcher at 10-5 and he wasn't even the chalkiest pitcher. So like he was, he was close to it, but there were pitchers in the eight packs freed in the eight K range. People played Luis Castillo and I stacked against him. Uh, so all, that salary typically goes somewhere. And at the high end, you had basically Acuna and you had Soto against Matt Harvey. So people just spent the money. And I found when I was building, because I, I built 100 lineups on FanDuel. And I was trying to go under on, on, the, on the Nationals, obviously, because they were going to be chalk. And no matter what I did in the builds, that I was originally making, I kept on getting Trey Turner and Soto because it's the highest price, basically the highest price shortstop and the highest price outfielder. And it, I'm not getting them in stacks. I'm getting them as one-offs because if I wanted to play a Baltimore stack four man, like where, even with Wheeler, where does the money go? Like the money has to, there's no other people to spend it on. So, you know what I did? I'm making lineups that leave 2000 on the table. Like, a lineup that literally could have Soto in there, but instead of Soto, I'm playing $2,500 one-off. I'm playing, you know, someone else in the stack, right? That's why I was getting a lot of Wheeler, which was a good, great idea because I got a lot of Wheeler yesterday. But people are scared to do that. They're scared to build a lineup that it's like, okay, I have the money for Soto. I'm building a contrarian stack or whatever. And then you plug in Trey Turner and Soto because you have, 
40, you have 4,600 per position. Like they're filling that in Turner and Soto and still leaving 400 on the table. And they're like, well, why shouldn't I just play the best players in those positions? And my attitude is, I mean, you can, but maybe, I mean, it still is baseball. They get four at bats or whatever, go down from Soto and go down to the $3,000 range. There's someone in, there's someone in that range. We're going to see on today's slate, it's going to be very similar. Oh, today's yeah. slate, there's like no one. To, today's slate, there are pitchers to pay down for and no one, and players to pay up for, but they're in bad matchups. Like that's what's going to happen today. So what's going to end up happening is that some of these expensive players, because I'm looking on the bat projections right now, just to use it as an example. We have Frankie Montes against Seattle on DraftKings at 6,200. We have David Peterson at home against Colorado at 7,000. We have Gomber against the, I mean, the Mets are look like a minor league team at this point. He's 5,600. So you have Snell at 89. You have Woodruff at 10-6. But really, like, it's much more likely that you're playing at least one of these two cheap guys. But then you look at the high end of, you look at the high end of uh, of bats. Tatis against Woodruff. Cruz against Means, if he's in. Okay, maybe, maybe you could do something like that. Cruz against lefties, that's a narrative, right? Tim Anderson against Kim. Okay, that's doable. Jose Ramirez against Turnbull. Lori, are you paying fifty six hundred for Loriano? Fifty five hundred for Mancini. Arenado against Lynn. Story against Peterson in in New York. Abreu against like some of these guys are going to be way. I mean, because you're going to have the money, right? I mean, like, but I when I list all these off, are you are you thrilled about playing any of these guys in these matchups? Tim Anderson. But I mean, that outside of that, no, not really. But but you're going to see a lot of people that Jose Ramirez is going to be owned today. Yeah. I mean, against Turnbull, that's fine. I mean, that's fine, but he's 5,800. He's, I mean, but the only reason is because you're going you're gonna to spend up at shortstop or third base or both today because you're going to be able to with the pitching that we have today. But what's going to end up happening is that if, let's say you pay up for a one-off Tim Anderson and a one-off Jose Ramirez. And they put up threes, right? Tim Anderson gets a single. Jose Ramirez gets a single and and a run. Like someone that's like, we go to third base position, let's say. <laughs> I mean, you could go like Jimer Candelario against Henkes could easily outscore Jose Ramirez today. Yeah. Right? Michael Franco against Sh- Shoemaker. Seeger against Montes. I mean, Donaldson against Means. Like, Jose Ramirez is 5,800. But play the lineup that you have and just go down from Ramirez to Seager. As long as you're not playing Montes in that lineup and leaving 1,600 on the table. Most people are not going to do that. And then if you do do that and you're like, oh, well, now I have the now I have the money to spend up at outfield. And it's like, okay, now you're going to be playing. You're going to have the same problem there. Yep. The salary is just going to make it that people are going to pay up for the sake of paying up. And from a raw point meeting perspective, that would be correct. But from a game theory perspective, like you don't have to, the variance between these players are, are high enough that I'm not saying to leave 5,000 on the table, 
But I think that we could we could build lineups that I mean I could do this right now. Like if I built here, let, let's number of unique players. Let's do two, two or three, a hundred. Let's 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 let me put it at forty nine five. That most people spend, you know, within five hundred of their salary. And I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. Let me put on some stacks five x one hundred. So it looks like real lineups, not like just one off type lineups. Based on the bat projections, we're going to get a lot of cheap pitchers. We'll put some zeros here so we can build. But you could you could see this effect by doing by just even just building a hundred lineups like this. I'm assuming we're going to get a lot of one. I, you, you're going to be paying up for a seemingly no reason, quote unquote, in at least one or two positions. Probably shortstop, third base, and an out an outfield. Yeah, I'll bet you end up getting like a hundred percent Jose Ramirez. 50% or 60% of Tim Anderson and Fernando Tatis. Like, dude, you have the money for it. The, the dis- and the distribution of points at third base is just going to like, with Jose Ramirez projected at like 10.5, and Nolan Nernato being the second highest is 7.7. The optimizer is just going to force in Jose Ramirez, even if right. they're not Cleveland stacks. So, especially considering all, all of the pitchers, there were three pitchers under 7K projected for the same as the top projection on a, on an expensive pitcher so woodruff was at like 19 he's the most expensive pitcher and you you, have, you're looking at the bat or your own projection i was looking at the bat i was bat, just looking okay. at what you were looking at right i haven't ran my projection yet so that i mean you're you're just going to get 100 percent of paying up at third base and shortstop right and you get a lot of cheap two cheap pitcher lineups yeah yeah all right let's see what we get here okay let's see yeah jose ramirez 75 percent Mancini, 66%. Austin, basically it's jamming in Orioles stacks. Right, we say the number one lineup, projected lineup, is Montes Peterson, paying up for Garver, Mancini one-off, Cruz one-off, and, a, and an Indian stack. That's actually way less, uh, way less Tim Anderson than I thought that we were going to see. Well, it's putting in Tatis, Tatis, because Tatis has more raw points. Yeah. Not by that much, but still 29% Tatis, 20% Anderson. Mm-hmm. Then we take a look at pitcher. We get Peterson, Montes, Snell, Lynn, Gomber. Right, because even a pitcher it's trying to spend, like it's just catcher. Severino, Mercedes, Hedges for the, the, the Indian stacks. First base, just all the Mancini, who's 5,500, but where are you spending the money? Even if you take a look at first place, but first base is kind of a dead zone. Second base, Cesar Hernandez, Stevie Wilkerson, because he's just trying to make Orioles stacks. And it's spread out, yeah. Right, and then in the outfield, Hayes, Cruz, Mullen, Santander, Luplo, Rosario, but then it's like Canha. And it's, I assume in, in order for me, me to make different lineups, I need to like lower my min salary. because even Yeah, though, pretty interesting that it's uh, super heavy on the Orioles. Only because of uh, raw points, right? Oh, so I mean, because shoemaker, okay. Attacking shoemaker, but it's it's more it's more of the once you put in, it's it's just tr- trying to spend money. Like, what stacks can you play? Right. So what it's doing, like is a tiger saying, stack, like a tiger stack. Well, I can't even spend the money. Right. And the only way that you can spend the money is to pay up. I, I mean, like the raw points from Trey Mancini and spending up means that you're going to get Baltimore stacks. The raw points and the 
price of Jose Ramirez means you're going to get Cleveland sacks. Right. And that's why we see so much Orioles in Cleveland at the top of it. Just for right. people. But if we, if we limited ourselves, if I limited the Peterson Montes combos or Gomber or whatever, whoever's in there, and I was paying up more for Snell and Woodruff, then obviously you'd get cheaper stacks. Yep. You wouldn't be getting that. But to me, this is how you see this is this is an easy way to see, like, oh yeah, this is this this is the dynamics of the slate. And it's just like, oh, do you want to pay fifty five hundred for Mancini? Well, Mancini may end up being higher owned because we don't have ownership yet. He may end up being if Mancini we have projected for six percent ownership. It's like maybe maybe not. Yeah, you're, you're gonna have to you're you don't have to spend the money, but most people spend the money, spend the salary. Unless unless we figure that the expensive pitchers are going to go higher on than we think, mm-hmm. but I, I I I think what's going to end up happening is that it's going to be an up and down pitching build. I don't think people are going to build the two. I think what's going to end up happening is that that Snell and Woodruff or something like that. Snell, Lynn, Woodruff, like it's going to be one of those, one of those, and then one of Gomber, Montes, or Peterson. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it's going to go up and down, something like that. More likely, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see when 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 ownership comes out. But this is what I mean by like building, like seeing what the lineups look like, see what the ownership could possibly be, and see which ways the field is going to go. And hopefully, hopefully get, uh, hopefully like uh, you, you do this and you come in, uh, you come in ninth place again, right? <laughs> like me, 12th place, 11th place. Yeah, it sucks when that happens. But the, I mean, this is, this is a really good exercise that you can do to just kind of get an idea of where people are going to be building out their lineups. There's a lot of people in my community that will go into lineup HQ and they'll like run the optimizer and see who's getting really popular, see who's getting a lot of ownership, blah, blah, blah because so many people use the bat projections, so many people use line of HQ, that it's a pretty decent proxy for where things are going to be. But like, for for example, of what we were talking about earlier, where when you were building out lineups, if you were to go in and like, after doing what you just did, if you were to go in and say, okay, it, what it looks like is people are going to be spending their salary. So people are probably going to be playing Mancini, playing Jose Ramirez, playing Fernando Tatis, these kinds of things. You see this, and then a plan that you could make is, okay, what I think is going to happen is people are going to play probably some combination of Snell and one of these cheap pitchers. They're going to play Indian stacks, probably, or Orioles stacks, because they need to be able to spend the money, and the raw points are going towards Jose Ramirez, Trey Mancini, these guys. You could build out a strategy based on those assumptions. Later, you'll have ownership, and you'll be able to kind of you know, flesh it out a little bit more, but you could go into this and say, okay, knowing that I want to put together a strategy that pays up for both pitchers and then avoids having the problem of trying to spend all my salary and therefore needing to go to these positions. You know, it'll drop me down at shortstop. It'll drop me down at third base. It'll drop me down at first base, something like that. And then build competitive lineups that way so that you are avoiding what the majority of the field is trying to do. Um, the other well, option... let's, let's do that now. So let's do that now. Yeah, as an yeah. example, I'm going to lock in Snell and Lynn. Perfect. Okay, so we're locking them in. So we're just basically set. I mean, it's not like you would normally do this and play them in all your lineups, but I'm going to lock both Snell and Lynn, and I'm going to X out Ramirez, 
and Mancini and Cruz. So right now the top projected lineup is one ten point five nine. Right. So let's see where we get. Okay. So I'm gonna build. I'm gonna build a hundred. Yep. This is xing out Ramirez. I'm, now obviously some Snell Lind lineups could have Mancini or Ramirez or Cruz. Sure. But if we're predicting them as of this moment, it could be different later. That they're gonna be very popular pay up one offs. You may not want to have them. Okay. Here's a hundred. You still. I'm still getting. I'm still getting a lot of uh, not a lot of Orioles stacks just just without Mancini. But your projection is 106.31. Right. You only lost four points. You you right. crossed out three of the highest owned players on the slate and right. three of the highest outside players. I mean, Jose Ramirez, Trey Mancini, and Nelson Cruz. Not like those guys have bad projections. And you are still within five points of this of the top projected that you got when you were just running things just baseline. Right, but even this, like, if like the top projected, like this is the top one right now is 106 without those guys. Like the hundred, even with those guys, like I have lineups that are underneath that. I have 107s. One of here's here's a 106. Here's a 106 lineup with Jose Ramirez yep. in it. Here's a 105 lineup with Jose Ramirez in it. And Nels, both both Ramirez and Nelson Cruz are in this lineup right here. 105.72. Right, Snell's in that lineup, and then we go back to to any build that doesn't have them in it. Like, look, I got to one hundred six point three one. Let's yep. say, let's say we X out. Let's let's do this. Let's let's X out the the Orioles. Are they going to be popular in this slate? Is that that just going to be a thing, or is that just seems like it? Yeah. Okay. So let's say okay. Instead of making Oriole stacks, what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the stack. I'm going to cap. I'm just going to cap everyone at 10%. Okay. So I'm forcing the optimizer to build, at least give me Mets. Like they they may be bad lineups in general, but at least give me like some of as many as possible. Just so we don't get a ton of Baltimore because, but what ends up happening is if, if I X out Baltimore, just the next highest projected stack is just going to be in all my lineups also. Yep. Right. If we just use this experiment. So I just want to keep it at 10%. So now I'm going to build and it's just going to hit me a whole be- mess load of stacks, a five man stack, five X stacks without Ramirez or crew without any of that. I mean, without any of this. Okay. With, with Snell and Lynn locked. So you still get Austin Hayes as a one-off a ton, right? Yep. Right. You still get, so here's an Oriole stack. Do these work? Okay. We're, we're soon going to be get, getting these to work. They're working on it in uh where you could click on the team and in the lineups from the team come up on That'd the side. Cool. Yeah. A little quick link, just like you could do with the players. But here, let's go through. We got 106 as our top, which we already said is fine. Here's another Orioles stack. Or we're going to get a ton of... Here's a Tigers. 105. Right, with Lynn and Snell, which is not going to be a popular combination, probably. Tigers, Tigers, Indians... Orioles, Tigers, Tigers, White Sox. 104. 104.5. With Donaldson one-off, Hayes one-off. And the scope one-off. That Donaldson one-off is hot. So let's go through. Okay, Orioles, Orioles, Indians, Tigers, Tigers, White Sox. Let's let's see the next team. Uh, still get more of that, more of that, more of that. Got any more? Come on. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, Twins. Twins. 
102. Right, 102 isn't that bad at all. And that one, like, if you don't cross out crews, then twin stacks probably end up 105-ish, 106, something like that. Like, you're still going to have twin stacks be able to compete with those top overall stacks projected. Let's see what else we got here. Twins, twins, Tigers, Indians, twins, Indians, Padres against Woodruff. 102 median. Padres, twins, A's against Kikuchi. 101, right? That's still playable, obviously. Padres, twins, Padres, Mariners against Montes, which... Obviously, that's going to be a leverage stack. 101. And Tatis against Woodruff. Pretty good. And and two, and a two-man Tigers. <laughs> 101. Let's go down further. Let's see. Yeah, we're down to 100. Here's a, here's a Mets stack. One, two, three, four, five. If you did Peraza, VR, McCann, Maven, Smith. Mullins yeah. one off Tatis, Jose Abreu with Lance. Like, this is a contrarian lineup. Yeah, it right? is. Yeah, contrarian Lynn and one Snell, word. which means you're not playing. You're not playing any of those cheap pitchers. The one offs are, I mean, Abreu, Tatis. I mean, Mullins is whatever, but like, here's the lineup. It's off of the top projected five man optimal using everyone in the player pool. With not locking this in and leaving my, all the the crews, the Ramirez and Mancini in, that lineup is one ten. Yeah, this is ninety nine point five. Ten points in baseball is what? That, less I mean, than a home run. It's less than one swing of a bat. Yeah. Okay. And this lineup. So based on that, what's wrong with this lineup? Well, it's the Mets. Yeah, I know. Mean, I'm just saying, like, yeah. from a median perspective, compared to the other one, this lineup is likely for you're giving up ten points and likely will be like five times less owned. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this is a lineup that probably would be plus EV, high variance though, but still plus EV. Yeah. Be one of those. This would be one of those lineups where uh, it either it has. First place equity or last place equity? So if you were playing 20 lineups, if you're like, I'm going to play 20 Mets stacks, well, be prepared to lose it all. Or when, like, it's, like, the EV, people don't understand the difference that, that, that the distribution when it comes to expected value. Like, two lineups could, this, for instance, this lineup, if we played this slate out 10,000 times, this Mets stack lineup could have the same expected value as this uh, Orioles lineup up here. Same expect, like from a, from a monetary perspective. So you run it out 10,000 times. This lineup up here comes in first place, probably slightly less often, but also comes in the top 10%, way more often than the other lineup. Come you you come in 147th place, you come in 40th place, you come in 868th place, you gain like so once you do that 10,000 times, it does hit 
first place a couple of times, right? Out of 10,000 trials, let's say it hits three times or whatever. But it cashes a lot more often. It doesn't come in last place a lot more times. So it equals out to X EV. That Met stack, like it wins five times, but when it doesn't win, it doesn't even come in 800. Pl- I mean, like it either wins, it's either up here or it's not cashing at all. So once you divide that by 10,000, the numbers are the same. Same exact EV. It's just that in order to realize the EV of the Mets lineup, like the Mets have to put up 12, like it's going to win. And if it if the Mets only put up four runs today, that lineup is not even cash. Like you're not, you're, you're towards the bottom. Now, when you're building a portfolio of lineups, you have to take that into account. You don't have, I mean, you should take that into account when it comes to that. This is part of bankroll management. This is part of risk management. If two lineups are equal EV, should you be playing the one with the high, with the, the more wider distribution, the more binomial distribution, or should you be playing the one that is a little bit flatter? If you have an unlimited bankroll, the answer is you play the one with the highest win equity and that's it, right? It doesn't, the swings don't matter anymore if you have infinite bankroll. The smaller a bankroll you have, the more percentage of your bankroll that you're playing, the more likely you should lean towards lineups that are more like this. As long, They still have enough leverage. They still like, remember, the EV of both lineups are the same, right? And maybe the EV of all 20 lineups that you're playing are the same. But the distribution of that, of how you realize that EV is going to be different between those lineups. So, that's why when I play, that's why since I play such a small percentage of my bankroll per slate, I tend to play more lineups that look like, how do I win first place or lose nothing? Because, right, you're, you're, sim- you're a similar way. Yeah. Now, if you're playing five to 10% of your bankroll a, a slate, you should probably have a lot more of your portfolio in these types of lineups because your risk of ruin by playing, you know, Met stacks, or if you're going to play, if you're going to play 20 stacks, 20 lineups, you could play one Met stack. You could play two Met stacks. Would I play 18 Met stacks? Probably not. Cause you don't have an infinite bankroll, but the E, but what is correct? They're both correct. They're both like, there's no, di- there's no expected value difference. So when people ask like how many of which, which team do I play? I have 20 lineups. Should I play five stacks? It's like you just build good lineups. Your diversification is all dependent on what, what your what your risk tolerance is. It has nothing to do with what's correct or not correct. There's not I could find, I could probably find on this slate with six with, with 12 teams coming up. If I ran it through, if I'd simulated it out, I could probably find a five-man stack of every team, a lineup that all 12 lineups are equal to one another or nearly equal. Now there may be more plus EV lineups from certain teams versus others, but I guarantee you I could find a, I could find a Rockies line, a five man Rockies lineup that equals an EV to a five man Orioles or a five man Tigers. They're just not, may not be as many five man Rockies, but I could probably find one 
that all all 12 teams I could find lineups that they have different players in the other in the other spots. And then you ask me, well, which one do you play? Well, mathematically they're equal to one. I mean, Any whichever other. one you want. Yeah. But the district, the standard deviations, it's very similar, James, to how projections are. Right? You take a look at the median fantasy points and go, oh, Tommy Edmond, eight points. Rugnet Odor, eight points. They're the same, right? Like, no, they're not. They're Odor rarely gets eight points, right? He gets zero or 14. Edmund gets like six to nine way more often. So it's like you're, look, you're looking at those types of things. So when people are like, well, how many of what, whatever, like that's, that's, that's a risk management, a diversification question, not a one lineup is correct and one lineup isn't correct. Had because you guys, when you build your twenty sets, I mean, you don't. I mean, I know that you you don't just go whole hog into like, like I guess I'm playing twenty Met stacks this late because that uh like you, you you don't do, but do you do it like I do where I'm much more likely in a if I'm playing twenty max to basically pretty much x out the top two projected stacks completely, and if I get uh, and then I'm more likely to diversify. Maybe I'll have one Met stack. I'll have one of this. I'm basically playing my 20 set for if the truck fails. Hmm. Yeah. I, well, what I usually do is I'll, I'll look and I'll find the leverage points on a slate. So like after I run my simulations, I, I have from my data, what teams are going to have the top score the most often. And I base, I, I have an algorithm for determining leverage based on those stacks against what the field is projected to do. So like if, I look at things and I say, all right, well, the Rays have like a 4% chance of being the top overall scoring team and they're projected to, with 120% aggregate ownership. Well, not going to play them. Um, the the Nationals, like the Nationals yesterday were pretty appropriately owned on DraftKings, but over-owned on FanDuel for their percentage chance of being like top overall team. But I knew yesterday that looking at the percentages, I was like, eh, Nationals against Matt Harvey, I that they're going to be higher owned than, than what things going to say. So I just cross them out and, you know, and crossing out the Rays and the Nationals or crossing out. The, as a the stack, uh, you're crossing them in as, as a stack. It doesn't mean that they can't yeah. be in your lineups otherwise. Well, I don't run singles. I only run stacks. So for me. So you're doing what? You're doing five threes on DraftKings? Five, three, four, four. Five, okay. three, four, four. Five, three, four. Okay. So, yeah. So you don't, you, so basically you, 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 you get 0% of them. Yeah. So you oh, so you're not even playing the chalk three man. You're not even doing contrary. Oh, so well, you, oh, okay. That, That's much so higher variance than I thought you were doing. That depends. That depends. Like if there is a situation where I know that I can have like two away under own pitchers, then like maybe I'll take the three man from the Nationals yesterday. Maybe because then I'm going to have two pitchers that are like 10, 15 percent owned or whatever. But if I if I like am projecting that the top two owned pitchers are going to be like the best pitchers. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna eat the the secondary stack on like the Nationals. They're gonna be forty percent owned Juan Soto, forty percent owned Trey Turner. Like, there's no reason for me to do that. So, I, I do. I play higher variance than you, and I've known that because like you, you spread out a lot. I spread only to like four to seven teams per slate. I take really heavy stands on things, so I, I will hedge my pitchers sometimes. But for the most part, like. I'll cancel out the top two projected owned teams if they are negative leverage. Uh, and then most of the time, like the teams that are towards the bottom, 
of my projections and like don't have great top score equity, those guys are going to be negative leverage anyway. So I'm not going to take them. Um, so I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty condensed when I build out my stacks. I, I'm not like, I wouldn't have met stacks today because I only have 20 lineups and I want to be able to have a core that is very tight. I, I distribute between the stacks. Like I place a 30 to 35% cap on hitters. So I'm spreading out a lot between my stacks, but I like to have my core be certain teams. I like to have a, a really heavy focus on certain teams. Right. Me, me, I'm just looking to build as many plus EV lineups with as much diversification as possible. Yeah. So yeah, I'm much I, more I build... likely on this slate. Like it's a six game slate. I'm playing DraftKings today, not FanDuel, because DraftKings has the $12. Whenever, whenever DraftKings lowers their, their entry fee over there, the GPP, yeah. I play on DraftKings because Fan, yeah. FanDuel, I mean, I don't, I actually think FanDuel is easier. I think FanDuel's mm-hmm. softer. Uh, but I go back and forth. I could do both sites, but on a six-game slate, I'm not going to invest all the money on on a six-game slate. I'd rather do it on a much bigger slate. But today on on on, on DraftKings, I mostly play five X, and which means that if if there's chalk one-off hitters, I just cap them individually. And I don't mind playing a chalk. I don't mind play, like I'm going to be playing a hundred lineups. Like right. I don't mind playing some chalks five-man stacks. And if there's twelve teams on a slate. Most likely, I will have a stack, at least one lineup with a stack of every team. Like I would most like most likely. I don't know. I don't. I don't. Is there any team that I'm willing to X off today? Like just looking at the at the player pool. I guess I'm not sure. Like let let me let me take a look. Let me take a preliminary look at the stack projections. Let's take a look. And this is only early. This is. I mean, who knows what gets changed so i'm going to take a look at the stacks page for dk and then take a look just just at ceiling oh wow the rockies are low the rockies the mariners and obviously the Mets. but the mets aren't as low as some of these other teams yeah maybe i don't play the rocky maybe i'm just playing a lot of david peterson today yeah i i just ran projections i'll i'll see I mean, like just off the top of my head, I think probably the Brewers and the Rockies would be low, but I, I'll see here in a second. Right, but I, but this is what I look at. I go. It depends. Like, it, for me to play the Rockies on the slate, David Peterson would have to be super chalk. Right. If he's not going to be super chalk, then I see no reason to play the Rock. That their 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 ceiling projection is so low in comparison to other teams on the slate that the only way that I can make up those points is in relative value to David Peterson. So to me, same for Frankie Mont, same for Seattle. So now Seattle, at least they get a little bit more. So we're getting up a little bit closer. I, I have the Rockies with a 24% chance to score zero runs. It's second. Score zero runs. Score zero runs. 24% chance. <laughs> the, the Padres I have at a 25.8% chance. Oh. So I'd, I would be... My, my projections very much respect Brandon Woodruff and that Brewers bullpen. So um, I, that, that would be me. I, I'd be, I mean, I wouldn't touch the Rockies with a 10 foot pole, most slates. Uh, so that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me, but yeah, that's. Yeah, but I'm not, the point that I'm trying to make is that I look through and I go, okay, Peterson Montes, like the Mariners against Montes project very poorly, but anything could happen in baseball. So like, I'm more interested in the lower ceiling teams 
mm-hmm. when the pitchers are going to be owned. If the pitchers are not going to be like, like the Mets, the, to me, those are the teams on this. The, the worst teams on the slate are the Mets, the Mariners, and the Rockies. Now, yeah. if Gomber, Montes, and Peterson are the cheap, those 7K or below pitchers, the SP2 types, if this owner, so for instance, let's say Montes ends up 45% owned, Peterson 15, Gomber 10. You know what that means? I play a lot of, I play a ton of Seattle. Yeah. But I don't play Rocky stacks or Met stacks. So it has nothing to do with me playing which team do I think is going to do better. It's which team gives me more relative value against the field. It would exactly. be Montes against Montes. Doesn't mean I don't play Montes. I may have Montes in some other lineups. Now, if it ha- if it's the other way around, and Peterson's forty five percent down, Montes is twenty percent, and Gomber's ten percent, then it looks like I'm playing Rockies today, right? Because I get relative value on David Peterson. Now, here's the interesting part: What happens if it's twenty percent Gomber, twenty percent Montes, and twenty percent Peterson? It's quite possible I don't pay play any of those stacks because. The pitchers, none of those three pitchers are owned enough for me to make up the relative value of playing them. So it's more likely that if they're all 20% owned, that I just play a lot of those pitchers. That I'm playing a lot of lineups with two, like I'm playing Montes Peterson lineups more than that. So really, this choice that I'm going to make on the bottom here of these 12 teams on whether or not I'm even going to have them in my player pool at all comes down to the pitcher ownership against them. Cause I need to make up that projection somehow. Right. If I'm going to take on a, a team that has a 17 point lower ceiling than the top team on the slate. How am I going to make up those 17 points? Well, in relative value by it being against, if, if it's against a chalk pitcher that every point I get my three points that I get are actually five points against half of the field because you know, Montes is getting minus two on every run that I get. So now I'm able to, to spread, I'm able to split the difference with, you know, 40%, 50% of the field. But this, all this type of stuff is in the theory of daily fantasy sports. So we're going to check out the course, theoryofdfs.com. But this is, this is the application of it. But I mean, I'm doing the same process as you, James. Just I, my process, I guess, is a little bit more manual. Um, I mean, yeah, I tried to make it so that all of my stuff just runs by itself. So yeah, but you're good at this. See, I can't do that. Yeah, no, I understand. I, but I mean, I do the same thing that you do. I, I still look at how many points I expect teams to score. I look at home run projections. I look at, you know, overall team projections. I look where the value is. I see the tigers at the top of my eight plus runs metric right now. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's always fun. So I, I look at the same stuff that you do. It's just that it's in a different format maybe in percentages instead of raw points like well yeah it, i can bring that up i mean we don't have that screen available yet right yeah but you'll that's get that. the rg but it's not the back projections that they use for that but yeah but it's the same it's a, i'm doing the same we're getting to the same place right yeah it, it, it just it's it's yours is a little just a little bit more automated yep me yep. i do it a little, much more manually it's because you're an old man no it's not because yeah. i'm an old man no it's because you're a boomer no, it's it. Well, I I know Boomer program. I don't know any learn. I need to I need to learn. I this is what but I try. What you're to, telling me is that you know Boomer programming and that you do manual Boomer things and that uh, sounds like you're a Boomer. I'm a Gen X. I'm not even close. My parents are Boomers. 
No, I, I just always find James found James that like uh like I I've always learned programming based on what I need to know. Mm-hmm. So it's like I need like back in the day where I was doing you know SQL and Perl and stuff like that. JavaScript, obviously, that's not a programming language. Uh, it's neither a SQL, but whatever. Uh, is it worth me learning Python? Is it worth me? It's, is it worth me learning R if I can accomplish what I can accomplish like without that expertise? No. the The reason why you learn it is if you want to move past what you currently are able to do, right. and if you're if you're fine with where you're at, then you know you don't need to improve that. Like, well, I shouldn't. I should be looking to improve it. It's just that I need to get the background information of just even how to had a program. Right. It's just like, it's just like my Excel. Like I'm, I'm, I know the basics of Excel. I you like know basics. how to make a graph. Right. I know how to make a graph. Right. I know how to, how to, oh, I'm going to put something in this column and it's going to compute depending on whatever, but like, but like, and also I can, I can make, I can make, I could probably, I would really, okay. I, I would, I would see, this is what I mean. Like I could make a simple scraper in Perl. Mm-hmm. I would have mm-hmm. to have a server. To, I mean, it would be so, it'd be so pointless to why, why <laughs> I need to have a web server in order to run it. Uh, and then just have to brush up on my regular expressions. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that would be, so I, why am I going through all of that when it's probably much simpler now in 2021 to do it a different way? Right. Just get Selenium on a Python environment, man. And just See, that's anything. what I mean. See, th- this is all the stuff that I need to learn. But then I then I go well. My ma- if I could do it my manual way, if I could be directionally right, like compared to like like so, like uh, some of some of the top players, like like ninety five. I'm like ninety five percent, ninety eight percent of the way there. Like I get to that point anyway. So it's like then I look and I go for the extra two percent and the five two for five percent. Should I be like taking Python classes? So here's. Here's the question. Maybe we can talk about this more next week because I know we're running out of time. But the question is, if you were to automate parts of your process, what would the return on your investment of time be against what you are currently doing? And if it is more, if you're able to like shave off two hours a day, like would that be worth it? What about three hours? That's when that's when you have to like think about it because the only reason none of this would I, shave off hours, I mean, but the way that I play, none of this would shave off hours in any sense. Though. And that's why you don't need to learn it. Like I tell you, that, I build line, I could build lineups in ten minutes with the process that I do right. manually. Right. So that's that's the question, though. Is the the only reason to automate anything in life is to save the time that it takes you to do things because then you make more money in less time. That's yeah, but to me, reason. to me, it's not it's not the time thing; it's the accuracy. Sure, but I mean, if you're if you are able to program the same way that you think, like I can. Yeah, but am I thinking accurately? Like, and like the, the the point of me learning Python is so I can make calculations that aren't aren't just like oh that they look under on. I'm playing fourteen percent of that. Like, where did that number come from? It just came. Okay, it sounded good. Like right, that's right. Like, that sounds right. <laughs> like I, I would like to introduce you to something that we call RAND in the industry. It's right, no, I, I've RAND. done that before, and I've done yeah. that before. Yeah, that's that's. I put my lineups in contests with two minutes to go. RAND, like, like 
wherever it goes, it goes. There's no like a lot of times I organize it by by like size of the field. Mm-hmm. So like my higher projected lineups go into smaller contests, but sometimes I don't organize it well, and it just like I have two minutes to go, and it's just grand, right? Right, just where where wherever it went, right? Just just I guess this one's in the three dollar contest, and this one's in the four, and this one's in the fifteen. I don't know. There you I go. don't know. But for me, for me, the 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 the, the learning the stuff, and obviously the learning curve is going to be a little little easier for me. Since I've already learned like scripting language, like I that's why I can't call like like JavaScript isn't a programming language. It's scripted. Like HTML is a markup language. Like that's not even right. Like I know the web stuff. Like Perl is a programming language to some extent. I was just gonna say that, kind of. that is, it's kind of a coding language. It's kind of right. It's kind of whatever, but it's still like I understand the syntax. I understand I understand the the, the mechanics of like whatever it is. It's just that, like, I've always just only used it for stuff that I needed. Mm-hmm. And it's hard It's hard for me to justify if I could. I don't think the edge is that thin in DFS yet, where my directionally correct approach needs to be as precise. I don't think it'll ever get there for MLB. But you think for basketball, maybe. For basketball, yeah, I think I, we're pretty close on basketball. I don't think we'll ever get there for MLB. I don't think we'll ever get there for NHL because they're both so event oriented and like we're dealing with with like non binomial distributions and you just so much of it is up to variance. But NBA is so linear. I think we're pretty close. Um, NFL, there's, there'll always be soft money in NFL. There's there's always going to be soft money and there's always going to be people that think that there are no fail things. And and that's where you like gain edge in that. So I think NFL is still probably gonna be fine. But NBA, man, especially after this last NBA season, people are doing. It, you, I I don't even want to talk about NBA. Well, let's just get to the playoffs and like <laughs> figure it out before next year. Didn't Tibbs like uh, what happened yesterday with the Knicks? I don't I don't know, dude. I don't know. He plays these guys what like seven million minutes a game, and then like th- not in the playoffs. No, yeah, and, and Snyder, like Snyder doesn't want to play his guys' playoff minutes either. And and you know, Budholzer's never gonna play Giannis 40 minutes and like the, these kinds of things. And you you think that you should be able to project what a coach is gonna do, and especially Tibbs, especially Tibbs. It's so stupid, man. Like NBA, the, the frustrations of NBA come directly from having to get inside the head of coaches. And you just can't. And that's where the main frustrations come. It's it's such an annoying sport. Paydirt underscore DFS on Twitter. PaydirtDFS.com. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. PaydirtDFS.com. Uh, that is where you can find everything that I build. And, you know, the MLB models have been fantastic and a lot of fun and continue to improve those. So uh, come jump in on that. And League of Legends is back soon now that MSI is done. So, like, you know, I'm, I'm super big on that stuff. So come hang out. Follow me, Blender HD on Twitter as usual. Hit that thumbs up button on your way at the door. Give me the thummy thumbs. Keeping the apple juice cold today. Uh, go to theoryofdfs.com to pick up the 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. If you like all the stuff that we talk about on Mondays, like it's pretty much in the course, right? It's pretty much most of this stuff. Theoryofdfs.com. And uh, and I'll be back like, like I always am. 
We'll be going over to this, this six game slate uh, tomorrow, right? Review it. And then we, we have some good slates this week, right? Six game. And then we, then we have bigger slates and then we have a split slate. And then Thursday, there's an early one. Okay. Whatever. It's MLB. today's a good one. Today's right. a good one. But today is fine. And uh, I'll see, I'll see you tomorrow. Cause I'm here Mondays through Fridays, 11 AM Eastern on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.